Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In November 2016, University of California San Francisco researchers published a stunning revelation in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association. Nutrition professor Marion Nessel explained that the researchers, quote, have produced compelling evidence that a sugar trade association not only paid for, but also initiated and influenced research expressly to exonerate sugar as a major risk factor for coronary heart disease, CHD. Although studies at that time indicated a relationship between high sugar diets and CHD risk, the Sugar Association preferred scientists and policymakers to focus on the role of dietary fat and cholesterol, end quote. According to Nessel, for almost 50 years, the sugar industry secretly manipulated scientific studies and American dietary recommendations to hide the link between sugar and coronary heart disease. As a result, Americans consumed more sugar every year, even though it may have been killing them. Conspiracy? Maybe. Coincidence? Maybe. Complicated? Absolutely. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, the podcast where we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. If you want to listen to previous episodes, you can find them on your favorite podcast directory or on our website, parcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network. I'm Carter Roy. I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. This is our second episode on the possible cover-ups surrounding sugar, saturated fat, and the dietary guidelines. Last week, we examined the history of the American Dietary Guidelines. They were first published in 1980 as a reaction to rising epidemics of heart disease and obesity. As a result of these guidelines, Americans moved away from fatty foods like meat and cheese and towards fat-free foods like cereal and yogurt, which had added sugar and high fructose corn syrup to make up for the flavor lost when the fat was removed. Officially, the U.S. government, the scientific community, and the sugar industry didn't know that sugar could be metabolized as fat. The dietary guidelines put out by the U.S. government were based on the best knowledge available at that time, namely Ansel Keys' Seven Countries Study. The rising rate of obesity in America from the 1980s onwards was, officially, an unfortunate accident. This week, we're going to discuss the conspiracy theories about the sugar industry, corrupt scientists, and the government. 
Conspiracy theory number one. The sugar industry operates just like the tobacco industry. They've spent the past several decades financing skewed studies to blame heart disease and obesity on saturated fat instead of sugar. The industry knows sugar is bad for us, yet they continue to influence and obscure the scientific findings on the dangers of sugar. Conspiracy theory number two. The government was aware that sugar made people fat all the way back in the 1970s, but didn't discourage citizens from eating it for their own gain. It has two prongs. 2A. Government officials encouraged Americans to eat an unhealthy, high-sugar diet because the sugar industry helped to grow the economy. On top of this, government officials may have been paid off by the sugar lobby. And 2B. The government encouraged mass consumption of sugar to make Americans obese and easy to control. Lastly, our most out there theory, conspiracy theory number three. The Japanese government created high fructose corn syrup to make Americans obese as revenge for the horrors inflicted on them during World War II. For 30 years, Americans were told that saturated fat was bad. In response to the coronary heart disease epidemic in the 50s and 60s, the United States Dietary Guidelines from 1980 onward instructed Americans to limit their saturated fat and cholesterol intake. However, now, almost 40 years later, nearly 39% of Americans are considered obese. And though the coronary heart disease death rate has ultimately decreased, it's still the number one cause of death in the U.S. Clearly, low-fat diets won't cure Americans from heart disease. Is it possible the sugar industry knew this all along? This leads us to conspiracy theory number one. The sugar industry has spent decades financing studies to minimize the harmful effects of sugar and spotlight the dangers of saturated fat. The sugar industry knows about the health risks of a high sugar diet, but they kept adding excess sugar and corn syrup into Americans' foods anyway, because it allowed them to profit. Let's unpack this. To start, most people don't know how much sugar they should be eating. The American Heart Association now recommends that men only consume nine teaspoons of added sugar per day. Women should consume a mere six teaspoons. Yet, according to researchers at the University of California, San Francisco, quote, the average American consumes 19.5 teaspoons, 82 grams, every day. That translates into about 66 pounds of added sugar consumed each year per person. End quote. Where's all this sugar hidden? Well, after the release of the 1980 Dietary Guidelines, butter, hamburgers, and steaks were replaced with biscuits, bread, and sugary cereals. While most Americans could guess that their brightly colored, marshmallow-laden cereals contained excess sugar, few realized that their new savory staples were chock full of sugar as well. A single serving of pasta sauce often contains five grams, or a little more than a teaspoon, of sugar. Two slices of bread? That's another teaspoon of sugar right there. Eat half a cup of low-fat cottage cheese, and you've consumed one more teaspoon of sugar. And I'm pretty sure those aren't the spoonfuls of sugar Mary Poppins was talking about. Especially when people have no idea they're eating it. Michael Jacobson, from the Center for Science and the Public Interest, believes the FDA should require food companies to list added sugars and the percentage of consumers' daily limit each serving contains. This would be an addition to the grams of sugar already listed in the nutrition facts and make it easier for consumers to see how much sugar was added to products in addition to the sugar that's naturally present. Then a typical 12-ounce can of soda would probably say 80% of the recommended limit of sugar. And a 20-ounce bottle of soda would say 120%. The FDA's Susan Maine explains that these nutrition labels would allow Americans to make healthier dietary choices. 
Consumers would be able to tell if what they are choosing to eat is high or low in added sugars and be able to keep their intake no higher than 10% of calories if they choose to do so. Of course, the food companies wouldn't like these new labels very much, since Americans would suddenly be acutely aware of how much sugar they're eating and very possibly buy fewer products containing large amounts of sugar or high fructose corn syrup. According to our first theory, the sugar industry has spent decades working against exactly that. They've been funding dubious studies to prove that their dangerous products are harmless or even beneficial. Essentially, they've used the same tactics as the tobacco industry. It's confirmed fact that the tobacco industry used scientific studies to claim that low-tar cigarettes were healthier and less likely to cause lung cancer. They took this so far, it ended up in a lawsuit. In her ruling on the United States of America versus Philip Morris USA, Judge Kessler wrote, quote, In short, the companies have marketed and sold their lethal product with zeal, with deception, with a single-minded focus on their financial success, and without regard for the human tragedy or social costs that success exacted." End quote. According to the theory, just like Big Tobacco, Big Sugar has funded many seemingly impartial health and nutrition studies. Yet somehow, these supposedly unbiased studies always give the sugar industry executives the results they want. Independent researchers have long suspected the sugar industry of guiding and manipulating the studies that they fund, but they haven't been able to prove it. Going back to the gem article we opened with, Marian Nessel explains, quote, Industry-sponsored nutrition research, like that of research sponsored by the tobacco, chemical, and pharmaceutical industries, almost invariably produces results that confirm the benefits or lack of harm of the sponsor's products, even when independently sponsored research comes to opposite conclusions. Typically, the disclosure statements of sponsored nutrition studies state that the funder had no role in their design, conduct, interpretation, writing, or publication. Without a smoking gun, it is difficult to prove otherwise." End quote. For years, this theory was hazy, since it all tied back to an unconfirmable motive. But in November 2016, University of California San Francisco researchers finally found what Marion Nessel calls the smoking gun. Irrefutable evidence that the sugar industry has been directly manipulating scientific studies for decades. Researchers scoured through archives at Harvard and other prestigious universities, and the documents they found were damning. They detailed the sugar industry's single-minded efforts to derail the scientific debate about sugar in the 1950s and the 1960s. Remember, in the 1950s, scientists were trying to find the culprit behind America's worsening heart disease epidemic. Some scientists, like Ansel Keys, believed that saturated fat was to blame. But other scientists found strong links between heart disease and sugar. By 1964, the sugar industry was beginning to worry that these new studies on the dangers of sugar would affect their bottom line. So in 1964, a high-ranking sugar industry executive named John Hickson came up with a plan to protect the sugar industry. He suggested that the sugar industry should hire their own scientists to promote the studies blaming saturated fat for heart disease rather than sugar. Hickson wrote, quote, we can publish the data and refute our detractors, end quote. He explained to other execs that this research would effectively convince the American public that sugar was harmless. In 1964, Hickson and the other executives created a group called the Sugar Research Foundation in order to recruit and fund scientists. One year later, in 1965, this foundation secretly paid almost $50,000 to three Harvard researchers named Frederick Stair, Robert McGandy, and Mark Hegstead. The sugar industry instructed the three researchers to link heart disease to saturated fat rather than sugar. 
According to the 2016 New York Times article by Anahad O'Connor, How the Sugar Industry Shifted Blame to Fat, quote, Hickson selected the papers for them to review and made it clear he wanted the result to favor sugar, end quote. And the researchers were happy to comply. One of the Harvard researchers, Hegstead, wrote to sugar industry executives, quote, We are well aware of your particular interest and will cover this as well as we can, end quote. Moving forward, Hickson and the other sugar industry executives were intimately involved in the Harvard researchers' work. O'Connor writes, quote, As they worked on their review, the Harvard researchers shared and discussed early drafts with Mr. Hickson, who responded that he was pleased with what they were writing. The Harvard scientists had dismissed the data on sugar as weak and given far more credence to the data implicating saturated fat. End quote. This one single study isn't responsible for this idea that fat and cholesterol are dietary reasons for heart disease, but they had a real interest in propping up that idea and identified this as a potential opportunity for sugar sales to go up. In 1967, Hegstead, Stair, and McGandy published their seminal review in the New England Journal of Medicine. The review titled Dietary Fats, Carbohydrates, and Atherosclerotic Vascular Disease, blamed saturated fats for heart disease and dismissed the harmful effects of sugar. This review effectively silenced scientists trying to prove that sugar was the real culprit in heart disease. Dr. Glanz, one of the University of California researchers who uncovered this appalling collusion between the scientist and the sugar industry, explains, quote, it was a very smart thing the sugar industry did, because review papers, especially if you get them published in a very prominent journal, tend to shape the overall scientific discussion." End quote. The Harvard researchers did not disclose that their entire review was funded by the sugar industry. They apparently weren't required to. In response to the damning JAMA report linking the sugar industry to the 1967 review, the Sugar Association defended its actions by stating that the review was published, quote, at a time when medical journals did not typically require researchers to disclose funding sources, end quote. A weak defense. This 1967 review was hardly the only study that the sugar industry funded in an attempt to control the scientific debate on sugar. In 1968, the sugar industry hired Dr. Pover, a researcher from the University of Birmingham, to conduct a study called Project 259. Dr. Pover used guinea pigs and rats to study whether there was a connection between the rodent's stomach microbes and their metabolization of sugar. Sugar executives hoped that Dr. Pover could prove that guinea pigs and rats who lacked normal microbes would be able to consume sugar without developing heart disease. But when Dr. Pover's study showed that the microbe-free rodents fed sucrose were at risk for developing both heart disease and bladder cancer, the sugar industry shut his study down and hid the results. Marion Nessel read the paper on Dr. Pover's study and noted in an interview with the New York Times, quote, From what this paper says, the sugar industry was not interested in answering open-ended questions about whether sugar might be harmful to rats or, given preliminary suggestions of possible harm, doing further studies to find out one way or the other. Instead, it stopped the research when the results looked unfavorable, end quote. In the interview, Nessel compared the sugar industry's tactic of hiding and manipulating scientific research to the tobacco industry's playbook. In fact, sugar industry executive Hickson was so skilled at manipulating scientific studies for the sugar industry that the tobacco industry later hired him in the early 1970s to do the same exact thing for them. By doing so, he and others put the health and lives of millions of Americans at risk. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And now, back to conspiracy theories. Our first conspiracy theory states that the sugar industry spent decades secretly funding research that minimizes the link between sugar, heart disease, and obesity. They've known the harmful effects of eating too much sugar since the 1960s, but covered them up. All the evidence we've found points to the fact that this cover-up happened in the 1960s. And it may still be happening now. It appears the sugar industry has continued to fund studies meant to obscure the harmful effects of sugar on heart disease and obesity. In 2012, Coca-Cola helped to found a health nonprofit, the Global Energy Balance Network. The nonprofit's alleged goal was to fight America's obesity epidemic. In October of 2012, Rona Applebaum, Coca-Cola's chief health and science officer, emailed University of Colorado School of Medicine professor James Hill. She wanted to let him know that she had successfully pitched their nonprofit to Coke executives. Applebaum reminded Hill in the email that the researchers would be collaborating with Coke executives in the research. This was already a shocking conflict of interest, but the nonprofit researchers were apparently fine with this. Two years later, on June 4, 2014, Hill emailed Applebaum and suggested they focus on a nonprofit he called, quote, Energy Balance. He wrote, quote, we have given you ideas here. We have also given you ideas for research projects that might be very specific to Coke interests, end quote. We should note that Coke later claimed that this email was not connected to Hill's work for the nonprofit Global Energy Balance Network. But we should also note that the name of Hill's nonprofit contained the words energy balance. And these weren't the only alarming emails that Applebaum and Hill exchanged as they launched their nonprofit in 2014. On July 9, 2014, Applebaum emailed Hill and explained that their nonprofit would function like a political campaign in the scientific debate over the causes of obesity. She wrote, quote, We will develop, deploy, and evolve a powerful and multifaceted strategy to counter radical organizations and their proponents, end quote. And on October 14th, she encouraged the nonprofit to partner with other researchers and wrote, quote, There you go. Then the number of experts and reputable orgs is too large for any naysayers to call the pack and attack. End quote. You may notice some similarities here to what sugar executive John Hickson wrote in 1964. Quote, we can publish the data and refute our detractors. End quote. And on November 9, 2014, Hill emailed Koch executives and outright proclaimed that his goal was to help them. He wrote, quote, It is not fair that Coca-Cola is singled out as the number one villain in the obesity world, but that is the situation and makes this your issue whether you like it or not. I want to help your company avoid the image of being a problem in people's lives and back to being a company that brings important and fun things to them, end quote. Hill had a pretty good reason to want to help Coca-Cola. They were giving him and the other researchers quite a bit of money. According to the New York Times, Coke gave $1 million to the University of Colorado, where Professor Hill worked. The university claimed that the money was used to fund the Global Energy Balance nonprofit, but it was, in fact, 
an unrestricted monetary gift, which means it could have been used for anything. Other researchers at the Global Energy Balance nonprofit also received substantial sums from Coca-Cola. Two researchers, Dr. Blair and Dr. Hand, received a combined total of almost $4 million in funding for their various research projects. It's possible that some of this money ended up in the researchers' pockets, although New York Times reporter Anahad O'Connor noted, quote, It's unclear how much of the money, if any, ended up as personal income for the professors, end quote. But it's clear from the emails that Koch funded and guided the direction of the Global Energy Balance nonprofit in its work to promote exercise for weight loss. The nonprofit's goal of minimizing the role of sugary drinks in the obesity epidemic is obvious even in its 2014 launch video. Dr. Blair, the nonprofit's vice president, states in the launch video that, quote, most of the focus in the popular media and in the scientific press is, oh, they're eating too much, eating too much, eating too much, blaming fast food, blaming sugary drinks, and so on. And there's really virtually no compelling evidence that that, in fact, is the cause, end quote. Given that the Global Energy Balance nonprofit was both funded and guided by Coke, uh, you'd think that the nonprofit would mention its connection to Coke up front in the interest of full disclosure. Yet, mysteriously, when the nonprofit launched in 2014, there was no mention of Coca Cola on its website or its social media pages. It wasn't until an obesity expert named Dr. Yoni Friedhoff contacted the nonprofit to ask who funded them that they admitted they were funded by Coke. In an interview with the New York Times in August of 2015, Dr. Blair claimed the omission was accidental. Blair told reporters, quote, As soon as we discovered that we didn't have not only Coca-Cola, but other funding sources on the website, we put it on there. Does that make us totally corrupt in everything we do? End quote. Despite their indignant statements, the nonprofit researchers still weren't really being forthcoming about their connection to Coke. In interviews with the New York Times in August of 2015, the researchers insisted that they were not influenced by Coca-Cola. Hill told the New York Times, quote, They're not running the show, we're running the show, end quote. And despite his many email exchanges with Applebaum and other Coke execs, he claimed that Coke didn't, quote, have any input into our organization, end quote. But other scientists were swift to condemn the nonprofit and its connection to Coca-Cola. On August 10th, Dr. Willett, the chairman of Harvard's nutrition department, and Michael Jacobson, president of the Center for Science in the Public Interest, wrote to the New York Times. In their letter, they wrote, quote, the scientific report of the 2015 Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee provides compelling evidence for the causal link between sugary drinks and disease, as well as the need for exercise. Unfortunately, Coca-Cola and its academic helpers won't accept the well-documented evidence that sugary drinks are a major contributor to obesity, heart disease, and diabetes." End quote. Their letter was co-signed by 34 scientists. Dr. Marion Nessel was also clear-sighted in her analysis of the nonprofit. She told the New York Times, quote, The Global Energy Balance Network is nothing but a front group for Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola's agenda here is very clear. Get these researchers to confuse the science and deflect attention from dietary intake, end quote. A month later, in November of 2015, the Associated Press proved that Nestle was right on the money. The AP uncovered the email sent by Hill and Applebaum between 2012 and 2014. These emails made it readily apparent just how deeply involved Coke was with the nonprofit right from the beginning. In an attempt to save face, Coke forced Applebaum to retire in late November 2015. On December 1st, the Global Energy Balance Network announced it was disbanding, and Coke executives promised to be more transparent. But Coke isn't the only sugary beverage company funding potentially biased studies and research that support their product. 
A 2015 study in the Public Library of Science found that beverage studies financed by Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, the American Beverage Association, and the sugar industry were, quote, five times more likely to find no link between sugary drinks and weight gain than studies whose authors reported no financial conflicts, end quote. It's clear that sugar is bad for us. And it's equally clear, after looking at these examples, that the sugar industry really has spent decades funding studies that minimize the health risks of sugar and popularize their products. We should mention that in research, we found even more examples of companies that produce candy, soda, and other sugary products funding scientific research that would take the blame off of sugar. We chose not to cover them because, after a point, it starts to get repetitive. They're all employing the same tactics. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being extremely likely, we're giving this theory a rare 10 out of 10. The evidence of the sugar industry's influence over the scientific debate on sugar is undeniable. The paper trail between sugar executive John Hickson and scientists Stair, McAndy, and Hegstead is damning. I agree. The massive profits gained by the sugar industry provide an incredibly strong motivation to cover up the dangers of sugar. And Coca-Cola's more recent involvement in scientific studies is more than enough to raise eyebrows. But it's possible the sugar industry isn't the only conspirator at play here. According to our next theory, the sugar industry covered up the dangers of sugar with the knowledge, and maybe even the blessing, of the United States government. Our second conspiracy theory focuses on the possibility that the government was aware that consuming large amounts of sugar made people fat and sick, but instead of warning the public of this health concern, the government encouraged high sugar diets. This theory is a two-parter. 2A, government officials knowingly encouraged Americans to eat an unhealthy, high-sugar diet because Americans' heavy consumption of sugar products, especially high-fructose corn syrup, helps the economy. And to be, the government is keeping us obese to control us. Let's look at the motive for 2A. Government officials want Americans to eat more sugar because it protects the economy. In last week's episode, we learned that corn syrup is a crucial component of the American economy. If Americans stop buying sugary foods, then sales of corn syrup will go down. This could be a major blow to the U.S. economy. So did the government intentionally ignore the dangers of consuming sugar to prop up the economy? Did they secretly support the sugar industry? which resulted in an obesity epidemic, which resulted in a booming healthcare industry? The U.S. did see an economic boom in the 1980s, and the government and the sugar industry did have surprising ties leading up to that point. Not to mention, when Americans began lowering their sugar intake in the early 2000s, the largest financial crisis since the Great Depression followed. Could the sugar industry and the government be that strongly connected? To examine this, we have to go all the way back to 1967, the year that three Harvard researchers, Hagstead, Stair, and McAndy, published their influential review linking heart disease to saturated fat instead of sugar. As we discussed earlier, none of the researchers ever disclosed that their research was paid for and guided by sugar industry executives. They instead allowed the American public to assume that this was an independent, unbiased review. Ten years later, in 1977, Mark Hegstead became the head of U.S. nutrition at the Department of Agriculture. There, he helped draft a report called Dietary Goals for the United States, the predecessor to the 1980 Dietary Guidelines. Here's where we diverge from fact into conspiracy theory. According to theory number two, Hegstead was well aware that his prior research on saturated fat and sugar was skewed, but he presented it to Senate committees and used it to write up dietary goals anyway. Essentially, even though he was a government employee, Hegstead was more loyal to Big Sugar than to the American people. As he worked on these guidelines, Hegstead continued to protect the sugar industry's interests. 
When the 1980 dietary guidelines were released to the American public, they warned that diets high in saturated fat and cholesterol could result in coronary heart disease. But they said almost nothing about the dangers of sugar. Americans were simply advised to avoid too much sugar if they didn't want cavities or tooth decay. Of course, sugar can rot your teeth, but it's responsible for far more than tooth decay. Hagstead knew about studies published in the 1960s linking sugar to heart disease. Yet he and his team put no warning about sugar's real dangers in the 1980 dietary guidelines. He stuck to the facts that the sugar industry wanted him to promote. Saturated fat was dangerous and sugar was relatively harmless. Which gets us wondering, was he the only one involved? Who else knew the government was promoting incorrect information? Perhaps Hagstead was the only one who knew and was trying to protect his reputation. After all, he was partially responsible for silencing the debate on sugar and heart disease in the first place. Unfortunately, Hegstead passed away in 2009, leaving researchers unable to confront him about his secret connection to the sugar industry. But the theory goes deeper. Hagstead isn't the only government official or organization who took money from the sugar industry. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. And now, back to the story. In the past decade, some American politicians have attempted to enact soda taxes to protect Americans' health and discourage them from drinking sugary beverages. According to the Center for Science in the Public Interest, Coke and other beverage companies have spent $67 million since 2009 to stop politicians across the country from passing soda taxes or putting health warning labels on soda bottles. Coke wanted lawmakers to enact policies that appeared to fight the obesity epidemic without hurting the company's profit margins. And we can see an example of how Coke successfully influenced government policy in Georgia. This next account is real, official truth. Recent events. In 2011, Dr. Brenda Fitzgerald, Georgia's health commissioner, had a major health crisis on her hands. Children in the state of Georgia were among the most obese in the nation. So she worked with Georgia Governor Nathan Deal to launch Georgia Shape, a statewide effort to curb obesity in children through increased physical activity. As part of the SHAPE initiative, Fitzgerald created a program called Power Up for 30. The goal of the program was to ensure that kids got an extra 30 minutes of exercise at school each day. Initiatives like this are expensive. Fitzgerald needed an organization with deep pockets to fund it. And I bet you can guess which company offered to pay for Power Up. Coke. The company's executives gave Fitzgerald $1 million for her program. Rona Applebaum, Coca-Cola's former chief health and science officer, was even on the advisory board for Georgia Shape. Dr. Fitzgerald's message about exercise aligned completely with the one Coke presented through Global Energy Balance Network. So much so, that Coke still has a 2013 essay by Dr. Fitzgerald on its corporate website. Her essay, Solving Childhood Obesity Requires Movement, cites scientific studies to tout the benefits of exercise while avoiding any specific mention of the dangers of sugar. She notes, quote, 
Only 17% of high school students in Georgia consume the prescribed five or more servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Our children and yours need to start eating better and moving more, end quote. It's the same scapegoating tactic that was used to remove saturated fat from so many Americans' diets. But instead of putting the blame on fat, they're pinning the blame on a lack of exercise. Dr. Fitzgerald's essay offers dire warnings of the health risks of, quote, not moving. According to Fitzgerald, these risks include, quote, diabetes, a chronic disease that often leads to blindness, nerve damage, kidney failure, and even death, end quote. But her essay on obesity says nothing about the known health risks of sugar or the links researchers have found between sugary drinks and weight gain. Dr. Fitzgerald also revealed her unwillingness to condemn sugar in a May 2013 televised interview to promote the Georgia Shape initiative. She announced that the program would, quote, concentrate on what you should eat, end quote. But she made no effort to inform parents and children that they shouldn't eat or drink too much sugar. In 2013, Dr. Fitzgerald also exchanged emails with Rona Applebaum that revealed just how closely she worked with Coke executives. Dr. Fitzgerald's relationship with Coca-Cola came to national attention in July of 2017 after she was appointed as the new chief of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. She was now in a position to potentially affect national policy in ways that benefited the sugar industry. But on January 31, 2018, Fitzgerald resigned from her position. But not because of her work with Coca-Cola. She resigned because of her investments in tobacco companies. And here's where we get into conspiracy territory. Does that mean the government was willing to look the other way regarding Fitzgerald's connection to sugar? It's an interesting thought, but there's not evidence either way. Fitzgerald was a leading scientist, and the fact that she'd worked with Coca-Cola in the past doesn't necessarily mean she'd promote their interests at the CDC. And shortly after her connection to Coca-Cola did become public, she left her job. That may not have been the publicly stated reason for her resignation, but it doesn't mean it wasn't a factor. True. At the very least, it isn't proof of the government ever knowing sugar can cause health problems and looking the other way. Yes. And to that point, while high sales of sugar and corn syrup may benefit the economy, they don't seem to support the government's interest. Remember that as Americans consume more corn syrup, they're becoming more obese. According to studies done by the American Diabetes Association, there's a strong correlation between poverty and obesity. We can take away two things here. One, these people who are supposedly eating the most sugar aren't spending large amounts of money on it, so it can't be supporting the economy that much. And two, the people who are eating the most sugar are actually costing the government money. According to a study at Cornell University, obesity-related health care costs went up by 29% between 2001 and 2015. The rising rate of obesity among the lower class means the government has to pay more in health care expenses through programs like Medicare and Medicaid. Right. It doesn't make much sense for the American government to encourage Americans to eat a high-sugar diet if that just creates an obesity epidemic that costs the government millions of dollars. So in light of what we've learned about both Hegstead's 1980 dietary guidelines and Fitzgerald's Georgia Shape program, what do we think of conspiracy number 2A? I'd give this theory a 6 out of 10. There isn't hard evidence of the government looking the other way when it comes to the sugar lobby, and it doesn't seem like promoting high sugar diets is truly good for the economy. But it still seems like the industry has nevertheless been influencing government policies over the decades, and no one has put an effort into stopping it. And some politicians are actively trying to pass soda taxes to stop Americans from drinking so many sugary beverages. The soda industry wouldn't have to spend millions of dollars fighting these proposed taxes if they actually had power in the government. Agreed. This brings us to Conspiracy Theory 2B, 
This theory suggests that American government officials are purposely encouraging us to eat a high-sugar diet to keep the American people under control. According to this theory, the government created our obesity epidemic for no other purpose than to keep us ill and easy to control. And to do that, they lie to us about what's healthy and what's unhealthy in the dietary guidelines. Even more radical theories claim the government wants us ill and obese so that we all accept socialized health care and have to rely on the government. This does line up with the poverty-obesity correlation. Those who consume a lot of sugar happen to be those who need the most government help. According to the theories, they're the first group to have fallen prey to the government's plan for absolute control. Other variations of the theory say it's all part of the New World Order, a conspiracy theory claiming that a powerful elite with a globalist agenda is working to rule the world through an authoritarian world government. Making people fat, sick, and addicted to sugar is a way to ensure we don't rebel against our New World Order overlords. Just one small problem. There's no dependable evidence to support the claim that the government is making us fat and sick on purpose. Some politicians whose programs are getting funded by the sugar industry avoid blaming sugar for America's obesity problem, but that isn't the same thing as outright advising Americans to eat more cake and drink more soda. And there really isn't that much information to support this. I'd give theory number 2B a 1 out of 10. It's interesting, but not well sourced. On to our last theory. Conspiracy theory number three states that Americans consume too much sugar and corn syrup, not because of big businesses or the government, but because of a Japanese revenge plot. It's a bit of a wild card theory, but here's the story, starting with the official background. As most of you know, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, killing 2,403 Americans. The vicious surprise attack finally compelled America to end its isolationism and enter into World War II. Both sides engaged in atrocious behaviors during the war. The American government sent innocent Japanese Americans living in California and elsewhere to detention camps. Their homes and businesses were stolen from them. The Japanese sent American prisoners of war in the Philippines on the Bataan Death March, where thousands died. The survivors of the march were imprisoned alongside American nurses and civilians and starved for years in internment camps. By 1945, the Americans and their allies had gained the upper hand in the war, and on July 26, 1945, they ordered the Japanese to surrender or face annihilation. The Japanese refused. President Truman feared that a devastating number of American lives would be lost if he invaded the Japanese mainland. So on August 6, 1945, an American plane dropped an atomic bomb over the Japanese city of Hiroshima, killing nearly 80,000 people. On August 9th, America dropped a second atomic bomb on Nagasaki, killing nearly 40,000 people. The Japanese surrendered just days later on August 15, 1945. From 1945 until 1952, the American military occupied Japan. Americans helped rebuild Japan and revive its economy. By the time the American military left Japan in 1952, America and Japan were officially allies. But the conspiracy theory goes that many Japanese resented the Americans for the atomic bombings and subsequent occupation of Japan. The Japanese invented high fructose corn syrup in the late 1960s in order to get revenge against America. These theorists believe that the Japanese government somehow knew that corn syrup would make Americans obese. But a closer look at this theory shows it isn't much more than xenophobic rumor-mongering. First of all, Americans were already working to develop corn syrup in the 1950s. Scientists Richard Marshall and Earl Coy came up with a formula for corn syrup in 1957. Japanese scientist Takasaki simply created a formula that was food-grade in the early 1960s. And obesity is a rising concern in Japan, just like in the United States. 
one of the main culprits for increased weight gain in Japan, sugary American junk food. According to an article in The Telegraph titled, Japanese get a taste for Western food and fall victim to obesity and early death, younger Okinawans have grown obese after trading their traditional diet for an American one. Reporter Colin Joyce writes, quote, Experts say that the generation that grew up eating American food is now reaching middle age overweight and at risk from diabetes, end quote. If the Japanese were purposely trying to kill Americans with corn syrup-laden junk food, they wouldn't be eating so much of our junk food themselves. With that said, we're rating this third theory a 1 out of 10. The idea that the Japanese purposely created corn syrup to poison Americans has a slim motive and no real evidence. Agreed. After considering all the evidence, we think the most likely story is that of conspiracy theory number one. Documents prove that the sugar industry has financed scientific studies to downplay the dangers of sugar since the 1960s, and it's still going on today. There's strong evidence that the sugar industry has manipulated American policymakers for decades. And it's awfully convenient that one of the government officials writing the first ever dietary guidelines was Mark Hegstead, a researcher secretly paid off by the sugar industry to minimize the connection between sugar and CHD. Even now, the sugar industry uses its financial heft to influence government health and nutrition initiatives. We saw that with the Georgia Shape, the initiative to fight childhood obesity that was funded by Coke. The program encouraged kids to exercise, but it didn't encourage kids to cut sugary beverages like Coke out of their diet, even though that's an easy, simple way to help kids lose weight. Above all, the sugar industry wants to protect its bottom line. They want us to believe that sugar is harmless that chocolate is healthy, that children can drink soda and still lose weight. Even now, the sugar industry is still funding scientific studies to convince Americans to buy their products. So the next time you see a newspaper headline announcing a new scientific study that proves chocolate is healthy or that kids can lose weight just by exercising, check who funded that study. Good odds it was the sugar industry. Hmm. If it sounds too good to be true. It probably is. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network. Let us know what your favorite theory is, and join us next week as we explore another conspiracy theory. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, Sound design by Paul Liebeskind, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Conspiracy Theories is written by Mary Merkins and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. <laughs> <laughs>